You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, well, good morning. Good morning, Jared. Welcome, Darius and Ioana. Good to have you with us today. All right. When you come uh, in late here, like we said before, there's no condemnation. You just get a shout-out, man. We're just glad to have you. It's not the Holy Spirit. It must be Randy. All right. Hey, uh, good to see each of you. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, we especially want to welcome you. Our heart is that you will go from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as possible. And uh, if you want more information about... Our church, you can, um, good to have my wife here today, um, uh, it's good, uh, you can grab some information on this little connect table over here, we got a connect card where you can fill out information about yourself, um, and we will only connect with you on your terms, and so if you want us to contact you, to, uh, we can visit, or we can text, or we can email, whatever, just fill out one of those cards, turn it into me at the front door. We also have some sheets over there where you can just take and read some information. You can visit our website, fellowshipparagold.com. There's all sorts of ways. We try to make it as easy as we can for you to connect with us on your terms. But again, good to see uh, each of you with us. Um, To the Cardinal fans and the Razorback fans in here, I'm sorry. Uh, This is a great reminder today that Jesus is where our hope is and he's all that we have. And so um, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, let's go there as we kick off our new series, Be the Church. Acts chapter 2. I I was looking at my Twitter account this morning, and literally, I, uh, true story, saw where a Razorback fan had posted on Twitter the number to the suicide hotline for Razorback fans to go to. I'm not kidding. And so, uh, anyways, good to see that some of you made it out of bed this morning. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42, we'll read down to verse 47. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one for free on the welcome table when you leave, that's our gift to you, but if you don't have a, a Bible or something on your device, we'll put it on the screen for you. This is God's Word, it says, and they, speaking of the early church, the first church we ever see in the New Testament, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm going to ask that you pray for me one more time as I pray for you. And as always, I just want to remind you, this is not, prayer is not something we're doing just to kind of mark something off our list. This is our opportunity to say, God, we need you right now. Um, or nothing is going to happen here except us waste some time listening to a 32-year-old speak. And so let's go to him and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today to get out of bed and to come and to worship freely together in this cinema. I thank you for each man, woman, and child that is here. I do pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will take your word and that you will drive it in our hearts, make it explosively alive in us for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
Anyone in here remember the game Simon Says? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, all of us pretty much in here, right? Simon Says was one of my favorite games growing up. Pretty simple game, right? If Simon Says, pat your head, you just pat your head, right? Or if Simon Says, rub your belly, you rub your belly, right? And that's just what you do. Whatever Simon Says, that's what you're supposed to do. I begin to think about this week how interesting it is when it comes to the church. It's kind of a different game because in the church... Uh, rather than just doing what God says, for us, a lot of times we just make it, well, we don't really have to do what God says, we just need to memorize it, right? Or we just need to study what God says. And, and I begin to think this past week how, how ludicrous this is, because even if my own daughter, for example, if I told her, if I said, Nora Kate, I want you to pick up your toys, how well do you think it's going to go for her if she comes back 30 minutes later and says, hey, Dad, I memorized what you told me. You said, Nora Kate, pick up your toys, Aren't you happy? Right? Am I going to be happy? No, right? Or, or if she comes to me 30 minutes later and says, Dad, all right, got some good news and bad news. Bad news is I did not pick up any toys. The good news is I called five of my best friends, and we're going to do a study over what it would look like to pick up my toys. Right? How's that going to go for her? Not well. And yet I wonder why it is that so many of us do the same thing in the church. I mean, I wonder why so many of us think that someday we're going to stand before our Creator and He is going to be okay with us doing the exact same thing. I want you to think about this morning how crazy it is to think that we are doing God a favor by doing one more Bible study, downloading one more podcast, or buying one more worship album if in the end we are not seeking to actually apply the truth from God's Word to our very lives. The reality is this morning... What God wants for you, from you is not just to intellectually agree with Him. What God wants is for you to trust Him. What God wants is your whole heart. What He wants is for you to hear His Word and to take Him at His Word. And that is the reason we are launching this series, Be the Church. Because our hope is, is that as a church, as Fellowship Bible Church, for those of you that say, this is my church, for those who claim to be God's people, saved by God's power, and dwelt with God's presence, and then sent for God's purposes. That we will be a people who are committed not simply to talking about what it means to be the church, but that we will actually step out in faith and be the church that God has called us to be for our good, for the good of our city, and ultimately for His glory. For some of you this morning, you came in here maybe as a spectator. <clears throat> Whenever you think of the church, you think of it as a place that you passively go to each week and sit back and listen to the band play and the preacher preach. For you, church is like a football game or some sort of sporting event where you just kind of sit back and, and watch. I was at ASU's home opener a couple of weeks ago against Missouri, which I think they played great against. It was a fun game. I sat on the fourth row at the 50-yard line with some friends. We had a great time, but you know what? Never once did I think about getting in the game. It did not cross my mind right, to go do what Darius used to do and play some defensive end uh, for or a running back or whatever, right? I, I knew better never once that I think that's what I should be doing. And for some of you, that's the way you view the church. You come here today and, and you watch this whole Christianity thing, but you'd have no real intentions of getting in the game yourself. Maybe for others, you don't come here as a spectator, but you come here as a consumer. And so when you think of the church, you think of it primarily as kind of like a grocery store, or maybe a mall, right? And the more options that it has, the better the church is. And those who view the church as a consumer, maybe you've even heard their language before where they'll say, hey, me and my family right now, we're church 
shopping, right? And, and what usually that means, maybe not always, but usually what that means is we are looking for a church with a cool facility, or we are looking for a church that has just the right amount of Bible studies that hit me where I am in this stage of life, or has a great children's program, or a killer youth ministry, or modern music, a pastor that doesn't preach too long, and certainly a church that would never ask us to do anything outside of our comfort zone. The problem with being a spectator and a consumer is that not only is it not biblical, but when you live in this way as a spectator and a consumer, ultimately you live as a critic. And so rather than loving the church, guess what you do? You sit back and you rate the performance of the church. Rather than seeking to build the church up, you pick the church apart, right? You get in the car and it's like, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. And, oh, this was kind of cool. That was not so cool, right? Because you sit back on the sidelines, you have plenty of time to be kind of the armchair quarterback. That coach is an idiot, right? As you sit back and never coach the game in your life, right? We have plenty of time to, to criticize and say, man, I wish this preacher was more like that preacher. I wish this worship service was as exciting as that worship service. And this is so easy, especially in a culture, right, where we have the world at our fingertips and we're exposed to all of these different options. It's easy to look back and say, man, why can't our children's ministry have a slide in it like that church has in their children's ministry, right? Rather than ever committing, we just kind of keep complaining. And we jump from church to church, place to place, always looking for the next best thing. And if that sounds familiar to some of you this morning, it's because whenever you take consumeristic Christianity and you combine it with spectator Christianity, what you get is American Christianity. And as appealing as American Christianity is, listen to, listen to me, as appealing as American Christianity is, those who are swept up in it are going to discover in the end that it's not Christianity at all. And that's why this series is so important. Because as your pastors, one of your pastors I don't want you to be deceived. I want us all to know from God's word what it means to be the church that God is calling us to be so that, not just so we can know intellectually, but so that we can receive it in our hearts, we can reject American Christianity, and we can fully embrace biblical Christianity, which is what the real Jesus is calling us to. Does that make sense? And so this morning, what I want us to start out looking at is this truth. That is, if, if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, we must be a church that gathers regularly. Now, next week we're going to talk about we need to be a church that goes. We need to move beyond these walls. And the third week we're going to talk about we need to be a church that grows spiritually, right? And then we're going to talk about how we need to be a church that gives. Okay, but this week what I want us to focus on specifically is if we're going to be the church God has called us to be, we must be a church that gathers. Okay, and I want to show you this from Scripture because... You're here this morning, and maybe some of you are like, I have no idea, biblically, why we should do this. I just know I've always done it, or that's what Christians do. So let's talk about biblically, why should we be a church that gathers? If you look back in our text, Acts chapter 2, in verse 46, you see that the first Christians were a people who gathered in the temple, and they gathered in homes, okay? We're going to talk about in just a moment what they did when they were in the temple and in the homes, but first, let's talk about who these people were that were gathering, and what you need to know is that the people who gathered were not the super spiritual. The people who are gathering here are not like the varsity Christians, but the people who are gathering are sinners saved by grace. And this is important because, listen, in the religious South, a lot of people, when they look at the church, what they think is a church gathering is for people who think they have it all together. A church is a place for the self-righteous. 
for those who kind of feel like they are on their A game. And yet what we see according to the scripture is that the church actually is not made up of just a bunch of good people, but the church is for bad people who realize their need for Jesus Christ. Like that's the church. The church is not for the spiritually elite. The church is for imperfect people who realize they stand in need together of one perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the church. Fellowship Paragold, listen, we do not exist as a group of people who have it all together. Amen? Amen. Right? If you're in this church, you know that. We are a community of the lost and found. Right? (laughs) We are people who were lost, but now Jesus has found us. Right? We are a people who realize we don't have it all together. And so when we do come together, we come to celebrate the grace of God, right? We don't come each week and say, hey, look how amazing we are. We say, look how amazing Jesus is. That he could take some of us, <laughs> right? And make us his beloved sons and daughters. We gather to celebrate the grace and mercy of God. We gather to celebrate that we were born, according to the Bible, dead in our sins, objects of God's wrath, lost and without hope. But rather than Jesus leaving us in our mess, making us work our way to him, he entered into our mess. He loved us before we ever loved him. He gave us everything that he had so that we could be rescued from sin and brought into a right relationship with the God of the universe who alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. The early church believed this. This wasn't just a theory. This wasn't just something they did because that's what you do. Nobody had ever done it before up to this point. They believed the gospel. And so what would happen? We see they would gather in the temple. What that means is a large gathering like this. But they didn't just gather in a temple. It says in verse 46, they would also gather in homes, like our missional communities, right? In a smaller setting. And they would gather to celebrate who God is and what he had done for them in Jesus. And if you look in verse 42, we see specifically what they would do when they would come together. We see in verse 42, the first thing they did is when they would gather, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is when they came together, they devoted themselves to gospel-centered teaching. They realized the need for the gospel. They were people who realized the gospel is not something that you get once and then you kind of move away from once you mature, but rather the gospel is something you continue to move deeper into. Tim Keller says that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. We need to get that today. We are not to be a people who say, okay, yeah, I got the gospel thing, but now give me something else. Like, No, we never move on from this. The early church realized when they came together, they needed to hear God's word. They needed to be reminded of who he is and what he has done for them. And that is the reason why each week when you come, guess what? Each week, no matter what series we're in, This is the book we're coming out of. Every single week, we are going to be teaching the Bible. You know why? Because there's nothing I have for you. Who cares about the opinions of a 32-year-old? There is nothing I have inside of me that I can give you that will help you at all. But this word, this word right here is profitable to every single area of our life. And so when we gather, we preach from the Bible, which is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and we don't just do it in a large gathering, but like the early church, we do it in small gatherings. That's why missional communities spend a big chunk of their year like focusing on the gospel. 
That is why we tell you to get in fight clubs. Like we had a fight club training yesterday, and, and Rusty has been encouraging, get into a fight club where we can show you how to fight your sin with the gospel. The early church was continually sitting under teaching, constantly being reminded of the truth that is found in Christ. But we see not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, in verse 42 it says that when they gathered, they also devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, this word fellowship is often misused in our culture. When we think of fellowship, we think just gathering the people we like the most around some nachos, right? Or if you, or if you grew up in a church like I did, you've probably heard of church buildings that have a what? A fellowship hall, right? And it's just, you guys are so spiritual, man. Like y'all f- and so, and so um, the fellowship hall is like, it's the place you go for potluck, you know? And it's just kind of, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take whatever amen I can get. All right. And so it's a place you go and you, you have potluck. And then after the potluck's over, guess what else is over? The fellowship's over. At least that's kind of the way it's seen. The word for fellowship here is much deeper than anything that we know in our English language. The word for fellowship here is actually the Greek word koinonia. Right? I went to seminary, so throw out a little Greek for you. And what this word speaks to is this. Koinonia means to be bound together in an unbreakable way. It means to be joined together by a specific thing in an unbreakable way. And listen to me. In this case, the one thing that joined the early church together was Jesus Christ. The one thing that joined them together, you've got to get this. Please listen, Americans. Right? And those of you who maybe aren't from America, but you're here now. Listen. When we think of fellowship, we think of finding people who are just like us and hanging out, and that's fellowship. What we see here is what bounded the people together in the early church was not their preferences, it was not the color of their skin, it was not their likes, it was not their dislikes, it was not their age or their stage of life. What bounded them together, the one common denominator that created for them deep fellowship was the fact that they were sinners saved by the grace of God poured out through Jesus Christ. That was their bond that was absolutely unbreakable. And this is something we all need to hear today. Because there are some of us, if you look at our lives, who are we hanging out with? People just like us. People we would be hanging out with even if Jesus did not exist. And then some of us in here go even a step further and say, I don't even need the church. I just got Jesus, man. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Sounds so cool, but it's so ignorant. Because, and I'm going to say this with love in my heart, this idea of, man, I got my Christian podcast and my Christian radio and just me and my own little personal relationship with Jesus, that idea doesn't exist in the Bible. Doesn't exist. Listen carefully. When you are united to Christ, you are united to his body, the church. And Jesus says it's time to act like it. If you want to stay connected to Christ, you need to stay connected to his body, the church. And I know for some of you that scares you to death, right? Because you're introverts. And you're like, I don't want to be around people. right? my, My daughter's this way. She has been so excited about dance classes. She just started dance classes. And 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 man, uh, do I have a picture of her dance? There she is, my little girl. Say all, oh, just make me feel better. Oh, okay. That's my little girl. 
And she, she's doing this. She's going, what, Daddy? And that's what she's doing in that moment. She don't know why I'm taking her picture. I'm excited. Okay, you can. Me and her mommy's the only one that would like for us that to be up the rest of the sermon. But um, <laughs> anyways, she has been so excited about dance class. And she put on her uniform when she first got it. And she would want us to play ballerina music in the living room. And she would, like, go and do some, like, dances. And she'd be like, a click and a clock and a click. Where did she get that from, by the way? Is that a dance move? She goes, a click and a clock and a click. And always... Anybody? No? Okay, no support. Just her. All right. And so, but she would do these dances. So, two weeks ago, first week of dance class, I left work early, came home, we got Wyatt, we all got in the car, we took off, and she's so excited, but then we pull up to where the dance class is in this building, there's all these people there. And she starts getting, you can tell, a little less excited. And then we go into the building, and we're just like all crammed in this little small building, and all these other little girls, and she just clings to Megan. And she says, this is her word, she says, Mommy, I'm nervous. And uh, she said, you don't have to be nervous. And she says, there's all these people around here. And then they called for her and her class to go into the room. And guess what? She would not go in without Megan. And she just kind of sat there. Now listen, the reason I share that is because there are some of you that are not that much different than my daughter. And I'm not saying like you're like a three-year-old, kind of, all right? <laughs> but yet we kind of are. Because there are some of you like, let's just be honest, like you have to psych yourself out to come to the cinema on Sundays, right? Like, you can do this, like looking in the mirror, like you can accomplish this. You can be around these people, right? And then you get here, and then you hear pastors be like, hey, you should get involved in a missional community. And as a part of it, it's like, I, I don't want to go in, you know? Like, like <laughs> I don't want to get involved. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, you know? But here's the thing is, Meg, uh, Nora, once she got there, and she kind of warmed up, and she eventually kind of, you know, walked out, like, she had a good time, and, and before it was all over, she was literally frolicking through the class with, like, the tissue with her friends, okay? And you're like, Jared, are you saying that I want to be frolicking with my missional community? Like, no, I don't think so. But what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is, if you are willing to step out of your comfort zone, and you will remember the reason that we gather with these other people who may not even be like us, if you will remember that your common union is that you have Christ, guess what? You can start to relax. And you can let your walls down. And you can begin to enjoy a beautiful and deep fellowship that will only be found in Christ. Some of you have been here for a while and you say, man, I still don't have deep relationships. And listen, I would say the reason some of you have not, some of you have not experienced this kind of fellowship yet is because rather than focusing on what you have in common, which is Jesus, you continue to focus on what you don't have in common. I'm old. They're young. My kids are out of the house. Their kids are in the house. I'm single. They're married. I'm an introvert. They're an extrovert. I'm a Cardinals fan. Steve's a Cubs fan. Right? We're focusing on all of these differences and listen guys according to the bible these things should never be deal breakers for us because greater than anything else we have jesus in common we have jesus in common and when we begin to believe that like not just with our head but with our hearts guys i promise you it changes everything it really will and, and you know this i mean think about when you first meet somebody and it's kind of awkward what happens when you find out that you actually have a common friend you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, so-and-so, like, what a small world, that's crazy, and like, you know, like, all of a sudden you have this connection. This happened to me a few weeks ago whenever I was in Denver, the night before I stayed at a nun convent, which is a story in itself, I was in a hotel, 
uh, that the people flew me in and put me in. And, and I went to bed that night in my hotel room by myself, woke up the next morning with a strange man in the room with me. All right, like awkward, right? Like it was definitely awkward. And uh, we had two double beds. He was in one, I was in the other. And so I wake up and I'm like, hmm, that's a little strange. And so um, it was weird coming to find out he was another pastor from Austin, Texas. That this group flew in to Denver that they put in the same room with me, just didn't tell me. So surprise. And, um, and so uh, it was weird, but he said he was from Austin. And I said, hey, one of my best friends is from Austin. I was actually in a wedding and he was, I was the best man in his wedding in Austin. He said, oh, who's your friend? Which Austin's a huge city, by the way. I told him the name of my friend. He goes, oh, yeah, I know him. I know Darren. I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? All of a sudden, I was like, holy crap. Like, right, like it changed everything. We realized we had the same sense of humor. Like we just, there was a connection between us because we had a mutual friend. Now, listen to me. If an earthly friend can do that, how much more should we be connected when we find out we have Jesus in common? Shouldn't we be like, oh, my gosh, you know Jesus? <laughs> hey, let's talk about the gospel. Like, it's amazing, right? The early church had deep fellowship with one another because they had deep fellowship with Christ. And for us to be the church that God's calling us to be in Scripture, we must also have deep fellowship with one another. And by the way, by the way, Jesus says this more than anything else is what will make the world realize there's something different about us. You realize that? Jesus said, by this the world will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. More than your Bible study, more than you never cussing, smoking, or drinking, more than you seeming to have it all together, it's whenever you love people who aren't like you that Jesus said the world's going to say, hmm, that's a foreign love. Can you tell me more? And we're going to be able to point to Jesus Christ. The early church wasn't just devoted to God's word and devoted to fellowship, but we also see quickly they were devoted to the breaking of bread they would share meals in their homes, just like we do in missional communities. We don't just eat a meal each week because we're like, oh, we're Americans and we got to eat, right? Like, meals are sacred. They are a reminder that we need something outside of ourselves to be sustained. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who sustains us physically and spiritually. These people broke bread together. They had meals in their homes, but they also did it as a sense of communion, as a way of remembering Christ. Jesus had commanded them and commands us in 1 Corinthians 11 to take bread, to take wine, to take juice, right? And to remember his life and death on our behalf. And that's why each week, guess what? When you leave, we have communion. That's just not some sort of religious activity we made up, right? That's a way for us to tangibly remember the gospel, to tangibly remember each and every week, I don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect. To remember that I don't have to walk out of here in guilt and shame because Jesus has covered my sins by shedding his own blood. The early church, when they gathered, they would be devoted to the breaking of bread. But also, and lastly, we see they were devoted to prayers. And I would add in there in verse 47, and also because we see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Philippians 2, Ephesians 5, and Colossians 1, they were also devoted to praise. The same should be true of us. Prayer is not simply a private matter. Prayer is a public matter. When Jesus taught us how to pray to his disciples, notice he didn't say, pray my Father, he said, pray our Father. Jesus assumed that we would be corporately praying together. And we should be corporately praising God together because when we raise our hands, and Luke's talked about this before in the benediction, when we raise our hands or we sing out loud, it is a way for us in unity to say, Jesus, I'm surrendering everything to you. 
You are the good news that I need, and I need you just as much now as I did when you first broke into my life. When the early church gathered, they did it in large settings like this, and they did it in smaller settings like our missional communities. And they did it as sinners saved by grace. They did it as people who were devoted to God's word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to communion and meals, devoted to prayer and praise. Listen, for those of you who claim to be a Christian, listen, this is biblical Christianity. There is no alternative. This is what came out of the box. This is organic, if you will. No preservatives. This is the real deal. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about this, about how we are to be people who go, how we're to be people committed to grow and to give. But the first thing we want you to see this morning is that when you are saved into a relationship with Christ, you are saved into a relationship with his church. And therefore, if we are going to be the church God has called us to be, to experience the life he's created us to experience, we must be a people who gather regularly. Now, as we come to an end, let me make sure that we're walking out of here with what I want us to walk out of here with, okay? So three things I hope that you take away with you when you leave. Number one, what I want you to see this morning is that the gathering is absolutely necessary. The gathering is absolutely necessary. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, I think we got it on the screen for you. This is God's word. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christian, if you really be, if you want to be a person who's following Jesus, you want to be someone who actually doesn't just memorize what Jesus says, but you do what he says, listen, do not neglect meeting together. To be the church God's called us to be, it means as much as it pulls us out of our comfort zone, we have to reject individualism. And we have to embrace that these people are our brothers and sisters in Christ who we are called together with, we believe, in larger gatherings and in smaller gatherings. And I know, like some of you are like, Jared, you have no idea how busy my life is. Like some of you, right? Like right now, you have no idea how busy I am. Okay, some of you are incredibly busy, I know. But do we not make time for the things that we prioritize in our lives? If this is really important to us, if we see it as a priority, don't you think we would probably at least schedule it in? I mean, date nights with my wife and men, I hope the same is true for you, are important to me. So they're scheduled in. I've just started doing date nights with my daughter. I believe you better date your daughter, dad, before other scumbags try to date her in the future. Right? And so I, I want to schedule those in. I want to take her out, right? I want to have ice cream with her, dress her up. I mean, like, that's a priority to me, and so I make time for it. Sermon prep, I have to make time for, lest Randy wants to preach, which would be very entertaining, I think. <laughs> I, I make time for MC meals. I have to make time for things that, right, elder meetings, things that are important, and the same is true for us, guys. Life is busy, but if you will see this as a priority, and please tell me if you see anything different in Scripture. When you see this as necessary, you will schedule it into your life. And so what I would encourage you to do when you leave here, honest, like this is going to seem hardcore, but I don't see any other option. I would draw a line in the sand and say, all right, spouse, are we going to follow Jesus or not? 
And if we are, we need to make time for the gathering, large and small. I don't see any other way around it. The gathering is necessary. But let me be realistic. The gathering is not only necessary, but the second thing I want you to know is the gathering is difficult. It's difficult. When you gather with people, it's not going to always be wildflowers and my little ponies, right? <laughs> like, because when you gather with people, especially in a smaller setting like a mission or community, guess what you're going to discover? You're going to be gathering with people who are sinners just like you. Which means there's going to be times that you're disappointed. Which means there's going to be times where you're annoyed. Which means there's going to be times where you're going to wonder, why am I not connecting with other people easier than this? And what I would just encourage to you is as you begin to move forward into getting more connected in the church, because Jesus has called you to do this, as you go towards building relationships, realize relationships take a lot of work and a lot of time. I have never in my life met a healthy biological family who got healthy overnight, right? Like, I've never gone up to a mom and been like, you know, if you would have saw us last night, like, we were nuts, but then I gave them some gluten-free cornbread and some kale, and now we're amazing, right? Like, I have never... I don't think that happens. Like it takes a long time to build a healthy biological family, and the same is true for a faith family. Some of you are like, well, I gave the missional community a try for one month, and we didn't click, so I bailed. Okay, maybe you should try 12 months, and not you sit in the corner waiting for everybody to treat you the way you think you should be treated, but saying, I'm going to treat them the way I would want to be treated. Healthy community takes time. It's not going to be easy, but listen to me, guys. Every good gift, the Bible tells us, is from God. God gave us the gathering. He gave it to us. Why? Because it is for our good. And how is it for our good? One of the things it's going to do is crush your selfish heart. And it's going to reveal to you sin in your life that you didn't even know was there. But listen, as a Christian, is that not what we want anyway? Because we cherish Jesus. We know our sin leads to death, and we want our sin out. And what gathering with other people does is show us there's still sin in there. We had no idea existed. And as we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? God is going to use community to actually conform you more into the image of Jesus. The one who gave us his very best when we were at our worst. And that's what leads me to kind of my final thought as we close this morning. Is gathering is not only necessary, it's not only difficult, but gathering is a privilege. It's a privilege. And it's not just a privilege because we live in America where we can meet anytime we want, anywhere we want without having to really be afraid of dying. But it's a privilege because look around, seriously, like look around for a second. Look to your right, look to your left. Here's why it's a privilege. You see these people that look very ordinary? They make up the bride of Christ. And Jesus loves his bride so much, he gave his life for her. Do you realize you are sitting next to people that Jesus gave everything up for? I'm not a brainiac, as you've probably noticed, but I'm pretty sure, guys, we're not going to stand before Jesus someday and say, man, I love you, wasn't really into your bride. And that go well for any of us. Jesus, I know you're willing to die for your bride, but man, I was too busy to even gather with her on a regular basis. Probably not going to go well. Guys, the gathering is necessary. It isn't easy, but it is such a privilege. It is something we do not deserve, but we get by grace through faith in Jesus Christ.
And if you will embrace this reality, if you will believe this, if you will take God at his word, it's not going to always be easy. It's not going to always be clean. But in the end, if you will connect to the body of Christ, you're going to experience a joy and a life that is beyond anything else that you can experience building up for yourself. I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning. As our band comes forward and those who are preparing our communion, we're about to uh, sing one more song together in response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But before we do that, let's corporately pray. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here today. I thank you for those who make up your church. We really are a community of the lost and the found. I thank you, Jesus, for breaking into my life when I was 20 years old and saving me. And I thank you for giving me these brothers and sisters. I do pray that you will help us to believe more that you are who you say you are and you've accomplished everything that you said you've accomplished. Help us to be a people who are devoted to your word, believing that it's the life. Like David who said, it's like honey on his lips. Use it to renew our minds. Help us to be devoted to one another, to love each other well. I thank you for how I've seen that happen in the life of this church and pray that it'll continue even more. I thank you, Jesus, for your perfect life and your death and your resurrection. I pray if there's anybody here today who does not know you, would you please open their eyes right now, please, right now, by your grace, through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.